Hi, everyone. Hi. What a great day. I think the weather's perfect outside. Hope you got to uh, enjoy a little bit. I know it rained a little bit yesterday, um, but hope you can enjoy the rest of the day. But most of all, what a great day that we can remind each other of the gospel, where, we, where I stand here in God's grace, and all of, you, all of you, all of us in Christ can be enjoying God's free gift of grace. So may we rejoice in that fact as we go into time of the Word. Uh, starting today, we're going to start a new series um, for the sermon. Uh, we're going to start in the book of, book of Mark, a Gospel of Mark. Uh, so for today, we're going to be reading from uh, verse 1 to 8. So if you can turn there with me, if you have your Bibles with you, otherwise you can look at the screen. It'll be on the screen as well. Again, it's the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. I'll read it for us, and I'll pray, and we'll go into the message together. Mark 1. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That is God's word. Let's pray together before we go into the time of the message. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for uh, your presence here in this place, God. Thank you that we can uh, stand on the foundation of Jesus Christ, not the foundation of our own, uh, our own righteousness, our own morality, our own good deeds. Uh, the foundation that we stand on is that of Jesus Christ, whose blood alone uh, could wash away all our sins, all our guilt and shame. So thank you, Lord. Uh, may your word reinforce uh, that truth of the gospel this, this time. And may you uh, encourage uh, those who are discouraged in this room and just gather all of our hearts uh, around your word so we can uh, hear your voice and be transformed as your Holy Spirit work in our hearts, God. Give me strength as I deliver your word. May I be clear in delivering uh, what you want us to hear from your word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a quick intro about uh, 
the Gospel of Mark. Uh, many scholars say the Gospel of Mark is actually the oldest, the first uh, gospel out of the four gospels in the Bible. Uh, the gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the Mark is uh, oldest and it's written by uh, John Mark, who was said to be a close companion of Apostle Peter. And what that means is that um, because they're close friends, John Mark was able to write down all the eyewitness account that Peter might have shared um, in their meetings and conversations. And my hope for our church as we go through this series is that we get to know and be affirmed and confirm who Jesus is. Because Christianity, our church, and our individual lives are all about Jesus. And we have to know him. We have to be reminded of uh, who he is and who we are in him. So my hope is that we can be strengthened as a church, uh, as well as our individual walks uh, through this book. Uh, three points, as usual. Uh, first, the person of the story. Second, the trustworthiness of the story. And thirdly, practice of the story. And the title of the message is The Story of Jesus Christ. First, the person of the story. Verse 1, Mark says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Uh, here, Mark is really giving us the title and the heading of his whole book. Uh, it's like a theme, like, like uh, packed into this one line. Uh, and there, the word gospel uh, means good news. You might be familiar with that. Uh, it shouldn't be confused with the, the gospel books of you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, that's more a label for uh, genre of literature, right? Uh, but originally, the word uh, uh, gospel had this specific meaning. So just follow with me as we survey the meaning really quick. Uh, around the time of Jesus in the first century AD, the word gospel meant the birth of a king or a coming of a king to power and reign. And the, the translators of the Old Testament from Hebrew to Greek imported uh, this word to refer to the good news of God's reign uh, as king. So here the gospel is about God's kingdom uh, coming to power and victory in the world. And then Mark immediately adds uh, the word Jesus Christ, meaning the gospel is not of anybody else, but it's of Jesus Christ. And there the word Christ is not the last name of Jesus. Uh, it's rather a title that Jesus carried uh, with them. Uh, it's a Greek translation of Hebrew word Messiah. And the Messiah is the promised king from the Old Testament that would come to rescue God's people and reign on God's throne forever. That is, Jesus is God's king uh, that has been promised to bring God's kingdom on earth and rescue people into the kingdom. And lastly, Mark adds one more qualifier for Jesus because he wants, again, us to know who Jesus is. And he says that Jesus is the son of God, that Jesus is not a mere human, although he fully became human at his birth, uh, but he is 
he was, he has been, he will always be the eternal Son of God who has existed forever alongside of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit in one Godhead. And therefore, that's important, therefore, he's able and uh, is qualified to be called God's King and he's qualified to die for the whole world. Mere human cannot do that. Only God can sacrifice his own life and that can cover the sins of the whole world. So therefore, from this title line, we can guess right away and learn right away that this whole book will be about, the rest of the book will be about who Jesus is and how he establishes and brings God's kingdom and and saves people into the kingdom. And the following verses that we're going to read today and study today are going to be the beginning of this gospel. And that's, that's what we're going to be learning. And, and in sum then, in, in summation here, that this story is all about Jesus. That's the emphasis here. It's all about Jesus. It's his story. In fact, the Bible says that the story of humanity and the world, even though they're in rebellion, it's still his story. And therefore, we call it history. Jesus is a main actor and character of our story. And I think at this point, it's good to pause and ask ourselves this question. You know, is my story, you know, my journeys, uh, individual journeys, uh, is that story his story as well? Or have I been trying to take over as the main actor in the story of my life? Meaning that, am I writing a story where I'm the king and queen and my career, my school, my relationships must go according to my plan? And is it ultimately about my reputation or is it about Christ's? Again, is it my story or is it his story? Uh, and I have a filter or uh, some sort of program on my laptop um, so that it kind of blocks, I think it's called ad block, I, I think, but it just blocks all the ads for me when I watch the YouTube and stuff. Um, but I don't have that. If, if you know how to do this on your phone, please let me know. Uh, but I don't have that on my phone. Uh, so when I watch you know, videos on YouTube on my phone, I get lots of ads, right? And uh, for some reason, I don't know why, but the, the majority of ads are from Liberty Mutual. Uh, I don't know if you're getting that too, but I mean, I'm satisfied with my insurances, so I don't know why it gets bring that up. But anyways, um, so these ads, some of them are shorter or they're maybe as long as other ads, but the, the YouTube gives me this option of a five second button. So I wait for five seconds and, you know, I press it and then I'm done. And I'm going, I, I go back to the, the video I was watching. But even that is annoying, you know, you're watching a video and then you, know, you get interrupted by these ads. That's annoying as it is. But then I'm really convinced that YouTube is following me around. Like, I think they know that when I'm watching a, a video that I really like, they, they give me ads that do not have these buttons. So I've watched for like one or two minutes 
while I'm watching my favorite videos. I don't know if you have that experience. And it's annoying, again, because I'm like so zoned into this video that I want to continue watching, but I'm interrupted by these ads. And I share that because it's like that when we try to write our own stories into the story of redemption, the story of Jesus. That is, when, when we let Jesus to be uh, the main character and actor of our stories, you know, we will see the beauty rising out of ashes and our failures, and God redeems everything in our lives to make it into you know, fruition. It's going to be beautiful. But when we insert ourselves to be the main character, it's like the ads. It interrupts. Uh, it hinders us and the world uh, from seeing the beauty of the gospel. And to be really honest, let's be really honest, who cares about what I accomplish, right? I do, for, for, uh, probably. That's why I care about it. But you don't care about what I do, you know, at 2 p.m. Uh, on Monday. But I do. But you don't. You see, that's the problem. We're just so preoccupied. But when we do that, we block and blind the story of Jesus, and we lose the beauty. So whose story is your story? Who is the main character, main character in your story? So the person of the story. Second, the trustworthiness of the story. So now here, uh, this is how the gospel of Jesus Christ unfolds. And it starts with the fulfillment of God's promises. So verse 23, it says, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will uh, prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Uh, Mark here is quoting from actually two different uh, Old Testament books, uh, Malachi 3.1 and Isaiah 43. And please bear with me as I uh, note a few things about these passages. Uh, here he mentions only Isaiah as a source of uh, these passages. It's mainly because uh, that Isaiah was the more well-known prophet, uh, even though Malachi was not the other uh, prophet quoted. Now another quick note about these passages is that you know, Mark actually changes a few words here to make the meaning more obvious. Uh, for example, in the Malachi passage, which is quoted in verse 2, uh, it originally said, you know, I send my messenger before me. But then Mark changes to, I send my messenger before your face. Uh, and this makes sense because, uh, like we said earlier, Jesus is the Son of God who came to earth on behalf of God the Father. So God can speak to Jesus as though he's speaking to himself. So Mark was trying to make that more obvious, uh, make it more about Jesus in this passage. So altogether, in these passages, um, Mark is trying to say that it's been promised that God, will send, God the Father will send a messenger, someone, to prepare and set the scene for Jesus, God the Son. And that's what's promised. And in Next few verses, in our, before our very eyes, we'll witness uh, this promise being fulfilled. So let's read it together here. 
verse 4 and 5, it says, John appeared, baptizing the wilderness and proclaiming the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So John the Baptist appears on the stage as the promised messenger of God before Jesus. And we see what, uh, uh, what's happening here is that John is doing what God promised that he would do. Uh, that is, that he is spiritually preparing the people of Israel for the ministry of Jesus. And here's what I mean. Please follow with me. Uh, here, one possible origin of baptism uh, was for non-Jewish Gentiles to uh, wash in the water as a ritual to signify the cleansing of their impurities and join the people of Israel, people of God. And here, what's astonishing from the background is that John is telling the Jews, the people of God, uh, to get baptized, uh, meaning indicating that they are, the Jews are as sinful, just as sinful and lost as the Gentiles. And they must acknowledge it and repent of their sins. Otherwise, there will be judgment that the Jews cannot bank on their ethnicity, tradition, or religion for salvation. And the text says, you know, many Jews in Judea and Jerusalem respond to the preaching of John and they confessed their sins and they got baptized. And here, what this does not mean is that they were saved, you know, by the virtue of baptism because baptism is external. It's just a symbol. It's not an internal reality. But what this does mean is that uh, the, the Jews have seen and admitted, acknowledged their own spiritual bankruptcy. They, they agreed with John the Baptist that they are just as lost as the Gentiles. And now they're hungering after the true salvation that only God can provide. In other words, John is doing what he was sent to do. That he is preparing the way for Jesus spiritually. And now Jesus can come and minister to his people with this background. But before we go on, uh, Mark adds another verse, which is very weird at first. So let's read it together. It says, uh, verse 6, Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. Why in the world Mark is describing John's fashion statement here? What's happening here? What's the purpose of this? Uh, Mark is actually portraying here, portraying John as a prophet like Elijah. Uh, because Elijah, coming of Elijah was part of the promise that God made. So uh, follow with me here to, uh, when I read uh, these two passages from the Old Testament. Uh, Malachi 4, 5 and 6 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a, de with a decree of utter destruction. And then Second uh, King 1, 8 says, they answered him, he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. And he said, 
it is Elijah the Tishbite. So now we realize, aha, Mark is trying to say that John is the, fulfilling the role of Elijah in, in this story. And what that means uh, like in all of this is that God, even to the details of you know, John's clothes and attire, he's fulfilling his promises. Hope you see that. God is to that much detail. He's fulfilling his promises in this story. That John is the embodiment of God's faithfulness. Uh, and the gospel story starts with you know, a God who has made promise and is keeping his promises. And in response, we are to trust God and trust his promises about the gospel, about all of our lives. And I want to point out here, trust and faith in God's promises is important in our effort to uh, make Jesus the main character of our story. Here's what I mean. Um, if we do not, um, or rather, when we do not make Jesus our main character, what that means is that at the core, we're not really trusting God's goodness. We're not really trusting God's promises for our lives. That we cannot just give Him our control. We don't really trust Him that much. So that we have to control our own destiny and plan and control every single thing. And when we do that, we suffer. Here's what I mean. Let me give you three examples. One example. We worry, we have anxiety. Why? Because we don't trust that God would provide. Although he promised that he would provide anything we need if we put his interest, his kingdom first in our lives. Again, we worry because we don't trust this at the core. Second, we stay bitter. Why? We cannot forgive others. Why? Because at the core, we don't really trust that God will achieve justice for us. That we can trust him to vindicate us. But the reality is that ultimately God will give us justice in two ways. If the offender is Christian, then the payment of the offense will be paid on the cross by Jesus. But if the offender is not a believer, then his offense will be paid, unfortunately, by him, by himself in the eternal judgment. In either case, justice will always be served in God's economy. Do we trust it? Can we forgive from that faith? Thirdly, lastly, you know, we give in to lust because at the core, we don't trust that God can satisfy us through our holiness. We instead take control and give in to our lust. But his promise is that there is fullness of joy in his presence when we strive to be holy. So the question is, do we trust his promises? If we do, we can make Jesus the main character of our stories. If not, we are bound to fail. So the trustworthiness of the story. Third, the practice of the story. 
But so far, it may feel like John is the star of the story. So John here, in the next two verses, sets the record straight. So verse 7, Mark says, And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am now worthy to stoop down and untie. Uh, just a cultural context here. At that time, the task of untying a person's sandals or shoes was considered lower than a slave's job. I mean, even now, nobody would like doing that. But back then, you know, in that you know, class society, uh, it was considered a job lower than a slave's job to the point that the Hebrew uh, Jewish slaves would defer that task to non-Jewish slaves. And so against that background then, what's striking is John is saying that he's not even worthy to do that to the one who would come after him. He's putting himself way down low than what the slaves at the time would do. So the question is, who is the one that will come after him? That John sees himself utterly unworthy, worthless even to touch his feet. Who is he? Verse 8. It says, John says, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So again, John's baptism of water was you know, physical and external and symbolic, and that alone could not possibly wash away our sins. But the one who will come after John will pour out the Holy Spirit as opposed to water, and the Holy Spirit will truly penetrate people's hearts, and there will be genuine repentance and change, and they will experience authentic relationship with God. So this is the work that water or human work cannot do. Only the Holy Spirit can do this. And this person, after John, will do this. And we know, uh, obviously, that this is talking about Jesus. Uh, but what John just said in this verse uh, qualifies Jesus even further about who he really is. Because the fact that he poured out the Holy Spirit, uh, that's a significant uh, fact. So we read Isaiah 44, 2-3 says, Thus says the Lord, all caps, meaning Yahweh, who made you, creator, I will pour out my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. What you see here is that it's the Lord, Yahweh, creator, God, who only has the prerogative to pour out the Holy Spirit. So again, we encounter at this point, uh, the, the point that we encountered earlier, the truth that Jesus is God, the Son, uh, who has the ability and right to dispense the Holy Spirit and who will come after John. And if that's true, then there's no wonder why John feels so unworthy because he's dealing with, dealing with God. He has to fear. He cannot even touch his feet because it's God of the universe coming in flesh. And also knowing 
what he can do, changing people's lives, uh, when John could only speak and baptize with water. And that must have humbled them, saying, man, it's not about me. It's all about God. It's all about Jesus. I'm nobody. Who am I to boast about what I accomplished in my life? You see, Mark says that was the content of John's preaching. What that means is that he kept saying over and over to people that, hey guys, I'm nobody. There's one coming after me who you should direct your attention to. He's the one that you should pay attention to. He is, in other words, the main character in my story, in John's story. And my life, my life's calling in my ministry, in my daily walk is to use my calling as a platform to display Jesus as the main character. Uh, let me uh, share this video with you. It's been a while since we played a video. Uh, and our brother Jeremy worked his magic um, to get this to work, but hopefully it works. But let's watch it together. David and Steele, congratulations. David, you came to Rio with a gold and bronze from London and a whole lot of pressure. What does it mean to come out and medal here in the Synchro event? Yeah, I, I just think the past week, there's just been an enormous amount of pressure and I've felt it. And, um, you know, it's just an identity crisis. When my mind is on this and thinking I'm defined by this, then my mind goes crazy. But we do have to know that our identity is in Christ. And we're just, we're thankful for this opportunity to be able to dive in front of Brazil, in front of the United States. And uh, it's been an absolutely thrilling moment for us. You now have gold, silver, and bronze Olympic medals. How much does this free you up for the individual event? It does. It takes a lot of pressure off of me, but um, this this never could have happened without Steele, without him pushing me, without him loving me well, uh, encouraging me, and my wife has just been a solid rock, and uh, I, I couldn't have done it without them. Well, and Steele, for you, your first ever Olympics, first ever Olympic event, how were you able to maintain your composure so well? I think the way David just described it was flawless. The the fact that I was going into this event knowing that my identity is rooted in Christ and not what the result of this competition is just gave me peace, it gave me ease, and it let me enjoy the contest. If something went great, I was happy. If something didn't go great, I could still find joy because I'm at the Olympics competing with the best person, the best mentor, the, just one of the best people to be around. Um, so God's given us a cool opportunity, and I'm glad I could have come away with an Olympic silver medal in my first ever event. All right, congratulations to you both. Thank you very much. This was uh, five years ago. I think it was in Rio uh, when these guys from the U.S. Uh, won silver medal uh, medals uh, in, in diving uh, competition. And uh, just like John the Baptist that we, we just studied in this passage, uh, these guys are broadcasting, right? Like literally... This, is, uh, this was an NBC. Probably millions and maybe billions of people are watching, and they're saying, our identity is in Christ. They're broadcasting that they're, the main character of their, their life, their stories, is Jesus, not them. And one thing I didn't want you to uh, lose in this interview is this, that one of them said, when, when my identity is rooted in Christ, I could enjoy, I could have peace when I was competing. Why? Because I realized whether I win or lose, it doesn't matter. My security 
is in Christ. He's the main character. He's, he should get all the glory. And what I do, I just try to be faithful and enjoy every minute of the competition. And that is an illustration, good illustration of what it looks like for us to have Jesus as the main character of our stories. And I'm always cautious, though, whenever I share these stories, because inevitably, you know, we put them on a pedestal, right? Um, and maybe some of us feel discouraged, like, man, you know, I don't have that courage. I don't have that, you know, gumption in my spiritual walk. Will I ever grow? And let me tell you this. I haven't checked how they have been doing spiritually. This is five years ago. And it's quite possible that, you know, they might be still doing well in their walk with Christ, or they may not be. Maybe they have fallen in some ways. For me, as a pastor, I have lost hope in people's performances, what people say. But over the years, I've gained more confidence and hope in what God can do. It's a good example for sure. And Holy Spirit worked in them to say these things boldly. But the same Holy Spirit can be in you too. Can be in you and me. And guess what? Just as they must have failed along the way, we will too. But the beauty of this story, guys, is that God redeems every single one of our failures. That is Christianity. It's not about how perfect we are, but it's about how perfect Jesus is. And it's his story. Our job is to submit to him and let him shine. And all of our failures, all of our tears hide behind his beauty. And again, as we go on in this uh, series and journey of this book, may we embrace that gospel over and over. Because if we do, man, we will be joyful daily, no matter the situation in our lives. Let's pray together. Let's pray together uh, just for um, about a minute, uh, not too long, before we uh, end with the song. we just come as we are um, I think one symptom of uh, us not wanting to have Jesus as the main character of our lives of our stories is uh, we uh, hesitate coming to Jesus as we are we think that we should uh, do something that we should cover ourselves up in certain ways. But again, the beauty, the reality, the gift of the gospel that I stand on even right now as I, after I preach. Like, to be honest, I'm, like, I know, in my mind at least, I made some mistakes <laughs> as I preached. But guess what? Doesn't matter. It's about Jesus. I can hide behind him right now. I can smile big because it's not about my perfection. It's all about his. I'm free. 
May we come before God together right now in Jesus Christ. Giving all our burdens unto Him. And when we do that, He becomes the main character. As opposed to when we try to fix our, our own problems, our own strength. We are the main characters. What, why do we want to do that? There's going to be no joy. It's going to be shame over and over. Insecurity. Suffocating us. Let's turn and give Jesus all we are. And He loves us. He welcomes us. That's the grace we stand on. Let's pray together. Closing prayer, but before we do that, uh, can I ask us to uh, pray for people that are next to you right now? Um, you know, if you don't know them, uh, you could even pray for anybody in this room. Uh, let's pray that uh, the message of the gospel will penetrate their hearts. You know, we're a community. Uh, you know, this journey of overcoming our own control and shame is a hard thing. We need one another to uh, you know, carry each other and uh, direct them to Christ, to the gospel over and over. So why don't we do that right now? Just pray for the people uh, around you or whoever that comes to your mind that God would touch their hearts right now. Maybe some of them are really struggling because they are they have been condemning themselves uh, because of the standard that they have of themselves or any guilt or shame, whatever that might be. Can we pray for them that the love of God uh, would touch their hearts? And as you do that, pray for the church too, that our church will become a gracious church, a church that is based on the, uh, the grace of Christ so that we do not uh, jump into um, judging or criticism, um, you know, lifting up the, the projects and objects over humans. May we not be that, that we show grace to one another, patience to each other. Let's pray for people around us and pray for our church as well, and then we'll finish. Let's continue to pray if you like, but let me close for us. Oh, gracious Father, uh, thank you, Lord, for your unending, amazing love towards us. How freeing it is, Lord, that you take all of our burdens away. That all we have to do is come to you in faith and trust in your gift. Trust that you are good to us. Your promises are real. Oh God, it's a tough journey because of the enemy's work against the gospel. It's tough because of our own struggles in our hearts, our indwelling sins. But even there, we trust you. We trust that you are changing us and growing us even when we don't feel it, we don't see it. And may that perspective of the gospel and grace 
be towards one another too in this community and we can be patient with one another gracious embodying your very grace and love towards us thank you for the gospel may this gospel be applied now and tomorrow especially as you know all of us go back to work where it's a world where we're judged by standards we are told to earn which is not gospel so may you give them grace in their classrooms in their you know workplaces with their co-workers May, may, they, may their faith and trust in the gospel prevail in their hearts as they strive to live for you in their places, God. Thank you, Lord.